Almighty God, graciously behold this your family for whom our Lord Jesus Christ was willing to be betrayed and delivered into the hands of sinful men to suffer death upon the cross. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. The Old Testament reading for Good Friday is from Isaiah chapters 52 and 53. Behold, my servant shall act wisely. He shall be high and lifted up and shall be exalted. As many were astonished at you, his appearance was so marred beyond human semblance and his form beyond that of the children of mankind, so shall he sprinkle many nations. Kings shall shut their mouths because of him, for that which has not been told them they see, and that which they have not heard they understand. Who has believed what they heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant. And like a root out of dry ground, he had no form or majesty that we should look at him, and no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his stripes we are healed. All we, like sheep, have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed, and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth, like a lamb that is led to the slaughter, and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away. And as for his generation, who considered that he was cut off out of the land of the living, stricken for the transgression of my people? And they made his grave with the wicked and with a rich man in his death, although he had done no violence, and there was no deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for sin, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. This is the word of the Lord. The Passion of our Lord Jesus Christ according to St. John, the 18th and 19th chapters. When Jesus had spoken these words, he went out with his disciples across the Kidron Valley, where there was a garden which he and his disciples entered. Now Judas, who, had, who betrayed him, also knew the place, for Jesus often met there with his disciples. So Judas, having procured a band of soldiers and some officers from the chief priests and the Pharisees, went there with lanterns and torches and weapons. Then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward and said to them, Whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. 
Judas, who betrayed him, was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and fell to the ground. So he asked them again, Whom do you seek? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus answered, I told you that I am he. So if you seek me, let these men go. This was to fulfill the word that he had spoken. Of those whom you gave me, I have not lost one. Then Simon Peter, having a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant and cut off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. So Jesus said to Peter, Put your sword into its sheath. Shall I not drink the cup that the Father has given me? So the band of the soldiers and their captain and the officers of the Jews arrested Jesus and bound him. First they led him to Annas, for he was the father-in-law of Caiaphas, who was high priest that year. It was Caiaphas who had advised the Jews that it would be expedient that one man should die for the people. Simon Peter followed Jesus, and so did another disciple. Since that disciple was known to the high priest, he entered with Jesus into the court of the high priest. But Peter stood outside at the door. So the other disciple, who was known to the high priest, went out and spoke to the servant girl who kept watch at the door and brought Peter in. The servant girl at the door said to Peter, You also are not one of this man's disciples, are you? He said, I am not. Now the servants and officers had made a charcoal fire because it was cold, and they were standing and warming themselves. Peter also was with them, standing and warming himself. The high priest then questioned Jesus about his disciples and his teaching. Jesus answered him, I have spoken openly to the world. I have always taught in synagogues and in the temple where all Jews come together. I have said nothing in secret. Why do you ask me? Ask those who have heard me what I say to them. They know what I said. When he had said these things, one of the officers standing by struck Jesus with his hand, saying, Is that how you answer the high priest? Jesus answered him, If what I said is wrong, bear witness about the wrong. But if what I said is right, why do you strike me? Annas then sent him bound to Caiaphas, the high priest. Now Simon Peter was standing and warming himself, so they said to him, You also are not one of his disciples, are you? He denied it and said, I am not. One of the servants of the high priest, a relative of the man whose ear Peter had cut off, asked, Did I not see you in the garden with him? Peter again denied it, and at once a rooster crowed. Then they led Jesus from the house of Caiaphas to the governor's headquarters. It was early morning. They themselves did not enter the governor's headquarters so that they would not be defiled, but could eat the Passover. So Pilate went outside to them and said, What accusation do you bring against this man? They answered him, If this man were not doing evil, we would not have delivered him over to you. Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and judge him by your own law. The Jews said to him, it is not lawful for us to put anyone to death. This was to fulfill the word that Jesus had spoken to show by what kind of death he was going to die. So Pilate entered his headquarters again and called Jesus and said to him, Are you the king of the Jews? Jesus answered, Do you say this of your own accord, or did others say it to you about me? Pilate answered, Am I a Jew? Your own nation and the chief priests have delivered you over to me. What have you done? Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I might not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. Then Pilate said to him, So you are a king? Jesus answered, You say that I am a king. For this purpose I was born, and for this purpose I have come into the world, to bear witness to the truth. Everyone who is of the truth listens to my voice. 
Pilate said to him, What is truth? After he had said this, he went back outside to the Jews and told them, I find no guilt in him, but you have a custom that I should release one man for you at the Passover. So do you want me to release to you the king of the Jews? They cried out again, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. Then Pilate took Jesus and flogged him. And the soldiers twisted together a crown of thorns and put it on his head and arrayed him in a purple robe. They came up to him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, and struck him with their hands. Pilate went out again and said to them, See, I am bringing him out to you, that you may know that I find no guilt in him. So Jesus came out wearing the crown of thorns and the purple robe. Pilate said to them, Behold the man. When the chief priests and the officers saw him, they cried out, Crucify him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Take him yourselves and crucify him, for I find no guilt in him. The Jews answered him, We have a law, and according to that law he ought to die, because he has made himself the Son of God. When Pilate heard this statement, he was even more afraid. He entered his headquarters again and said to Jesus, Where are you from? But Jesus gave him no answer. So Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not know that I have the authority to release you and authority to crucify you? Jesus answered him, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. From then on, Pilate sought to release him, but the Jews cried out, If you release this man, you are not Caesar's friend. Everyone who makes himself a king opposes Caesar. So when Pilate heard these words, he brought Jesus out and sat down on the judgment seat at a place called the Stone Pavement, and in Aramaic, Gabbatha. Now it was the day of the preparation for the, of the Passover. It was about the sixth hour. He said to the Jews, Behold your king! They cried out, Away with him! Away with him! Crucify him! Pilate said to them, Shall I crucify your king? The chief priests answered, We have no king but Caesar. So he delivered him over to them to be crucified. So they took Jesus, and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of a skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription, for the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, Let us not tear it, but cast lots for it, to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, They divided my garments among them, and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things. But standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. When Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, Woman, behold your son. Then he said to the disciple, Behold your mother. And from that hour the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. 
A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, It is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was the day of preparation, and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken and that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first and of the other, and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with a spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth, that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. Here ends the passion of our Lord. Grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God the Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. There are two things that are made crystal clear on Good Friday. The first is the fact that God takes sin seriously. His wrath for sinners is real. The second is the fact that his love for sinners is also real. The cross of Christ also shows the extent of his love, the price he is willing to pay to redeem the fallen sons of Adam. This is precisely why you need Good Friday. Because it is your nature both to estimate God's potential for anger and wrath when it comes to your sin, and also to become uncertain about God's favor when things go badly in your life. Even though the scriptures are full of evidence that God hates and despises sin and he punishes it, we often take his forbearance and his long-suffering as proof of the opposite. We look around and see how much wickedness seems to go unchecked and unpunished in the world and in our own lives. And the conclusion that we draw from this is that God must not be all that concerned about sin. We just kind of blow it off. Our culture is no help in this regard either. Today, no one really likes to talk about God's wrath. He is a God of love, and that is as far as some churches and teachers will go. In fact, in many pockets of Christianity, people have fashioned for themselves a God that is tame, a God that winks at sin at the worst, and a God that at best is disappointed in them when they make bad choices. Think about it. If you really considered your daily violations of God's commandments as something dreadful and deserving of death and damnation, wouldn't you run to your pastor for confession and absolution? Wouldn't you seek to be free of your guilt and know that you have a good conscience before God, your Heavenly Father? If you simply took God at His word and believed Him when He says that the wages of sin is death, 
then perhaps you would fear his wrath and not do anything against his commandments as we confess in the Catechism. On Good Friday, we can no longer look at God as someone who merely winks at our sins or simply ignores them. We can no longer brush off our sins and say, oh well, oops, did it again. We are forced to face the reality of what God thinks about sin and what it deserves. If ever there was proof that God takes sin seriously, it was hanging there on the cross of Calvary. It was there in the beaten, bloody, bruised, and dead body of his son. There God showed the world that he meant it when he said to Adam and Eve, For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. When you see Christ hanging on the tree of the cross, you are compelled to see what God really thinks of your lying, your lustful thoughts and actions, your covetous desires, your gossip, your lack of fear, love, and trust in Him above all things, your propensity to put the worst construction on everyone's words and actions, and your inclination to worry and to doubt God's love and protection for you. But God did not send His Son to the cross simply to make you feel bad. Good Friday is not a feel-sorry-for-Jesus day, nor is it a funeral for Jesus. Christ willingly drank the cup of suffering for you, for your benefit, for your salvation. What you see in the cross of Christ, what you ought to see most clearly, is the extent of God's love for sinners. If ever there is proof of God's love, proof of his mercy toward poor, miserable sinners, proof of his desire to save, it was hanging there on the cross. On Calvary. There the holy God was taking out his wrath and his anger toward your sin on his innocent and only begotten Son, so that you would not have to face his wrath for all eternity. But you would not know this by simply looking at the cross apart from the faith. It is only by divine revelation through the mouths of the prophets and the apostles that you know what was actually taking place on the cross on that day. Without this, You would be like those who believed him to be stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. You would not know simply by looking at the cross that he was wounded for our transgressions and that he was crushed for our iniquities. You would not have known unless it had been revealed to you in the holy word of God. That in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them. This is why Christ made known to his disciples the purpose of his sacrifice and the words by which he instituted the sacrament of the altar. This is my blood of the covenant which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. So it is through the words of Jesus, his prophets and apostles, that you know and believe that everything that happened on Good Friday was according to God's own will. As the prophet Isaiah declared, yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Every whip, every jeer, every nail driven into the hands and feet of Jesus turned God's fierce anger away from your sin. As Moses once stood between the wrath of the Almighty God and the idolatrous Israelites, so too this man, condemned to death by crucifixion, turned away God's wrath forever. And as long as we remain in Christ, as long as we remain united to him by faith, we are safe from God's all-consuming anger towards sin and unbelief. This is why we turn to Christ when we are overcome by sinful urges and desires. This is why we remember our baptism daily, remembering the promises God has made to us in Christ Jesus, where God buried us and raised us with Christ. 
And this is one of the reasons why there is such comfort for Christians in the salutary gift of the Lord's Supper. Through participation in Christ's Holy Supper, you receive the benefits of Good Friday, pardon and acquittal for all your sins. These things were won for you on Calvary. God declared all sin forgiven in Christ's death. But this gift then is graciously delivered to you and made available to you here and now in tangible things. The earthly elements of bread and wine which convey to you the very body and blood of Jesus Christ. You see, Christian artwork through the ages has often shown the close connection between Good Friday and the sacraments. Woodcuts from the time of the Reformation show the Lord being crucified with the blood from his hands, feet, and side flowing into chalices held by angels. Indeed, you can find artwork such as this in our own sacristy, where the water of Christ's side flows into a baptismal font and the blood from his side flows into a chalice. This artwork proclaims the same scriptural truth that is confessed in the hymn that we sang last evening. As this pledge of love undying, he, this precious food supplying, gives his body with the bread, and with the wine, the blood he shed. And since Christ has turned away the wrath of his Father toward you by his sacrificial death, now the Father turns to you, not in anger, but in love, when you come to his holy table as his holy and redeemed children. For your merciful and faithful high priest, Jesus Christ, has made full atonement for all your sins. He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. For this reason, then, we praise the Father who from heaven to his own this food has given, who to mend what we have done gave into death his only Son. Today, you can breathe a sigh of relief, a sigh of relief that the dagger of divine judgment has swept past you and landed home in the innocent flesh of Jesus, his Son. You can thank your gracious Lord for unleashing his wrath toward your sin on his son, thereby canceling all of your debt, the record of debt which stood against you. You can wake up and go to work each morning, not in your sins, but secure in the forgiveness of your sins, won for you on the cross by Christ and given to you in the holy supper of his body and his blood. You can approach your heavenly Father boldly, having been cleansed of your sins through holy baptism, knowing that by faith... You stand innocent before him, resplendent and washed clean, a very child of God by grace. That is how the church views the death of the Son of God. That is why we call this day good. It was good that God placed his own Son under a curse. Good that the nails were driven into his flesh. Good that the spear pierced his side. Good that blood and water flowed from him. Good that his head was bowed in death for us. Christ's good proclamation is, it is finished. And it is good that he has turned the cup of his Father's wrath into a cup of blessing for us. Which we receive then with grateful hearts in his holy supper. Jesus Christ, our blessed Savior, turned away God's wrath forever. By his bitter grief and woe, he has saved us from the evil foe. May Christ's sure and certain victory over sin, death, and Satan give you peace as you celebrate and remember his holy passion. In the name of Jesus. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen.